VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, Linda Swain once again. People uh, waiting eagerly to hear if uh, it's Patty or not. He's off again today, but that's okay. Uh, we're anticipating he will be back very, very soon. Uh, but I'm in the saddle for the interim, so uh, if anything is on your mind, by all means, do give us a call, and there's lots of things to talk about of late. And just because I raise certain issues does not mean that we are restricted to those topics. So whatever happens to be on your mind, by all means give us a call well we finally got that bit of respite here on the avalon peninsula a bit of rain uh in fact it came down pretty good last night um in the metro region uh lots of areas of the province uh, the west coast has seen a fair bit of rain so far this summer And through central Newfoundland, they've been seeing rain over the last couple of days, too. Welcome respite because uh, the forest fire index was starting to creep up very high, and we saw some of the results of that over the weekend. Well, um, I already noticed driving in this morning that things look like they're uh, freshening up a little bit. After so much, uh, such a dry spell, uh, things look a little fresher and greener. Well, we've been talking about this last couple of days, um, and uh, healthcare, of course, continues to dominate headlines, not just here in Newfoundland and Labrador, but right across the country. And uh, all the provinces are struggling to deal with what they're seeing uh, as a result of this, uh, I guess, post-COVID or (laughs) mid-COVID kind of situation. And we uh, just welcomed a group of uh, Ukrainian refugees to Newfoundland and Labrador. And among them uh, are some physicians. And uh, those physicians have been expressing some, I guess, frustration with the process of uh, how to get uh, accreditation here in Newfoundland and Labrador. The process is a lengthy one. And, you know, ostensibly it should be, right? You have to make sure that the the credentials of anybody practicing in that kind of a field are at least on par with the credentials of uh, someone in in this province. And how do you know that to be the case? Well, you have to put them through, I guess, a rigorous process. But are there easier ways to do that is the question. And uh, our understanding is, uh, in fact, I got confirmation from the department yesterday that Health Minister Tom Osborne is meeting tomorrow with Ukrainian doctors. Uh, who have expressed some of these uh, concerns. Um, One of them in particular we heard from last week, uh, Dr. Marina Sigorska, and she had expressed um, her dismay with the fact that this process is going to take her years. She wants to practice. She had a family practice, or she's trained in family practice in Ukraine, and she wants to help. <laughs> she wants to put down roots here. She loves what she sees. She loves how, how she's being welcomed into the community. She wants to give back, and she's a little bit frustrated with all of that. So uh, we're hoping to hear from the minister later on in the show. So uh, do stay tuned for that, and we'll hear what he has to say about that and other things facing health care. It will be my first time, I think, speaking to the minister since he took on the new role. So uh, it should be interesting indeed. 
RNC Chief Patrick Roach uh, speaking to VOCM News yesterday. He was doing uh, interviews regarding a recent workplace review of the RNC, and it highlighted some, I guess, morale within the RNC is a bit low these days, and some of the issues and concerns that have been raised uh, as a result of that. The review was really sparked by some of these allegations of um, sexual misconduct and um, assault uh, involving RNC officers or foreign former RNC officers, um, and some of those cases still winding their way through the courts. Um, but it was kind of sparked by that and the culture within the RNC, and things have changed tremendously, but um, as many people will argue, they need to change, more change needs to be made, and it requires uh, leadership. So Chief Patrick Roach um, addressed some of those uh, recommendations in the workplace review, and he says they're, they're achievable. However, he acknowledges that some will take longer than others to implement and see the results, because all of these things are processes, aren't they? Um, and he doesn't review the report overall as negative, but a way forward in the right direction. And sometimes these things are very helpful, you know. Uh, you have to shine a bit of light on things in order to see what's going on and to address them properly. So uh, he um, he spoke with VOCM News, and you no doubt, no doubt heard um, Brian Callahan's extended interview on that this morning during the morning show. If you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to give us a call. Not to mention the First Light Report as well that issued um, or um, highlighted some very important issues there as well. Um, we'll find out later on today what the latest inflation rates are. Statistics Canada is issuing the latest data later on this morning. Economists expect the consumer price index for June climbed to at least 8%. 8%, and I can remember when people were talking about predictions of 6%, 8% as food and energy prices soared. And of course, this has prompted the Bank of Canada to increase uh, its uh, prime rate to try and slow all this down. It has to do with demand. It has to do with supply. Uh, and in May, the rate of inflation reached a 39-year high of 7.7% with salary boosts not keeping pace. So we're all feeling it right now, all of us. And uh, it's starting to bubble over in, in some unusual ways. Not to mention the stress and strain of COVID as a whole and the stress and strain in workplaces caused by the pandemic and continuing issues with people getting the illness and having to isolate and getting sick and some people getting very sick. Uh, I've been hearing from people who are telling me, wow, you know, I had no idea it was as bad as it was. Um, and so you can't go to work like that, obviously. Uh, so it's having these stresses and strains and push and pull kind of effects. And of course, uh, during the pandemic, we all know a lot of people decided, you know, eh, I don't want to do this anymore for one reason or another. So you've had these mass resignations, and it's a phenomenon not um, unique to Newfoundland and Labrador or Canada as a whole. It's a, it's a phenomenon seen worldwide, and uh, it's having its impacts. It's changing. Society is changing the way we're dealing with things. We're seeing it in healthcare for certain. 
Anyway, I want to hear what you have to say about that. Um, well, the people of Lancelou have a bit of a uh, issue and problem. And uh, uh, Dave, I wouldn't mind getting someone in Lancelou to get the latest um, on this. Uh, a humpback whale, uh, quite dead, has um, washed up on the beach there. And we all <laughs> know some of those stories. We've seen them here in Newfoundland and Labrador from time to time. Uh, it's sad, but it's also a very big problem, uh, particularly if that uh, carcass happens to be hanging around for a little too long, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, so the people of Lancelou now trying to figure out what to do and uh, take care of this thing. Uh, it's not the Coast Guard or DFO's issue. It is the issue of the municipality. And we've seen these in the past where um, town councils uh, and volunteers and members of the community have said, you know what? I got a bit of rope. I got a long liner. Let's let's take this thing out and put it on a beach somewhere where it's not going to bother anybody. Um, and I think that's what the people of Lancelou are looking at right now, uh, trying to get this arranged. So it, I'd love to hear from the people of Lancelou uh, about that and anyone else who's uh, encountered these kinds of problems. We love to see the whales. We love to see them uh, jumping and uh, breaching and blowing and all those wonderful things. But it becomes a problem when the poor things pass away and end up on your beach. A really exciting time at the Powerplex in St. John's last night. Athletes from Team NL were gathering uh, for a little rally, and um, VOCM Sarah Strickland was down there talking to some of these really enthusiastic uh, and talented young athletes from across Newfoundland and Labrador. So exciting to see uh, young people engaged and and uh, happy and looking forward to... I guess real competition. Why would you be involved in sports if you can't compete on some level and um, be among peers and uh, and learn new skills and all of those wonderful things? So it's uh, it's a very exciting time for them. And I'd love to hear from some of the athletes who are heading up to Niagara for um, the Canada Summer Games. And of course, we're going to be hosting in Newfoundland and Labrador in the next uh, couple of years. So that's very exciting indeed as well. So anybody who's uh, got some aspirations for uh, Team NL and the Canada Summer Games, uh, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you and hear your story and how you got to where you are and what you plan to do. Um, we've got uh, a celebration of uh, the Stanley Cup victory. Alex Newhook is going to be bringing the cup home on August 22nd. And uh, there's going to be a citywide celebration in St. John's for that. Of course, Alex is from St. John's. You know all too well, listeners to this show, uh, his uh, family and his family history, because Patty Daly, of course, knows the Newhooks very well, and he's a big supporter of Alex and Abby Newhook. And, um, of course, we're going to see a celebration that will include a parade. Don't we need some celebrations? Oh, my goodness. Uh, so that's going to be very exciting, and uh, I know an awful lot of people are going to be lining up to, to have their picture taken with the cup. There's lots more on the go. I'm going to leave it there for now, including uh, I'm going to talk a little later on about um, a little fundraiser that's on the go for the Newfoundland Pony and efforts to uh, save the Newfoundland Pony and keep numbers up, and we'll talk about that when we come back after the break. In the meantime, um, we'll give you the numbers to call. Here's your chance. 
And we're back. We're going to start the show this morning with Samantha Harding. She is the communications director with the Lieutenant Governor's Office. Hello, Samantha. Good morning, Linda. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm very well. And you know what? I'm even more excited to connect with you this morning to share with listeners that the annual Lieutenant Governor's Garden Party is full steam ahead for today. We're scheduled to uh, have the event here on the grounds of Government House from 2 to 4.30 p.m. Excellent. So the weather's going to clear up enough for that? Yes, absolutely. It looks like the rain is going to hold off. Uh, Our grounds are drying up nicely, and we're really looking forward to hosting the public here today. So, you know, due to the pandemic, this is actually the first garden party we've had since 2019. So for those who haven't joined us for this event previously, you can essentially expect an afternoon of entertainment, light refreshments, and overall just good company. So for today's event, uh, pleased to share that we'll have appearances from uh, John Curran and Greg Walsh of Masterless Men. We also have with us St. Pat's Dancers, Anna and Eric, the COB Band, Signal Hill Tattoo, and we'll also see the RNC Mounted Unit here, and we'll have light refreshments served by members of Girl Guides and Scout Canada. So lots happening, and you know, perhaps best of all, this event is free and fully open to the public. So no registration required. Uh, Their honors are just really thrilled to welcome all those who can uh, join us here at Government House today from 2 to 4.30 p.m. And fascinators, please tell me there will be fascinators. Of course there will be, but you know what? Not required. Just come one, come all. Just really excited and looking forward to having everyone here together safely on the grounds of Government House. But yes, if you have a fascinator, please bring it with you. Oh, please. (laughs) I know every time anything happens at the uh, Lieutenant Governor's uh, residence there, uh, Jerry Lynn Mackey is always front and center. She's like, oh, my gosh, I got to go. She's so excited and she loves the things that are going on there. Yes, and we love having Jerry Lynn here, too. From what I hear, she's on vacation this week. But you know what? If she's in town, then we hope to see her there, too. Oh, you know she will be. (laughs) Um, So, uh, Samantha, this is one of a number of, um, um, I guess, activities and events that the lieutenant governor has been putting off at Government House. Uh, So this is just the latest, and, of course, it's a big one. Uh, The garden party always draws uh, big crowds and uh, lots of interest. But uh, there's been all kinds of other events that have been uh, taking place there on a, on a, I guess, a somewhat smaller scale. That's right. So we also have our wellness breaks that are ongoing. So on Tuesdays at noon, we have uh, Tai Chi Cha, which is taught by Sheila Leonard. And then on Wednesdays, uh, we have Yoga Milan. And that's taught by uh, Nova Yoga that takes place from 12.15 to 1 p.m. every Wednesday. And then, of course, on Thursdays, we have Wisdom Healing Gigong, and that is, again, taught by Sheila Leonard. Uh, and that takes place from 12 to 1 as well every Thursday. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that each one of the individuals that teach these wellness breaks, they're all volunteers. So they volunteer their time and talent. We certainly wouldn't be able to do it without them. So 
really excited to offer that throughout the summer. And of course, the weather's been beautiful. So um, it's been really lovely to see lots of people uh, utilizing the grounds in that regard. We also have lots of other wonderful attractions here on the grounds of Government House. We have, of course, our Heart Garden, which is a reconciliation initiative. We have our uh, what's called Living Tree. It's a tree carving that has been um, done by artisan Vince Jones out of the town of Corvey. Um, yeah, lots of stuff happening. And of course, our commemorative Commonwealth Walkway, which was um, a Platinum Jubilee initiative for our province. The new walkway put in here on the grounds, a uh, full kilometer in length. So lots to do here on the grounds and certainly looking forward to welcoming everyone today, but ongoing throughout the summer months and beyond as well. And Newfoundland ponies. Of course, of course we have our Newfoundland ponies. So there's so much going on here. Um, and we're really pre- pleased to just offer the grounds to the people. Her honor always emphasizes this ground belongs to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. So today's garden party is just another initiative um, that we're putting out there to welcome people here on the ground. So residents and visitors alike, if you happen to be in the St. John's area this afternoon, pop on by the uh, Lieutenant Governor's Garden Party, 2 to 4.30 p.m. on those beautiful um, uh, government grounds. That's that's right. 50 Military Road, that's where you can find us. Like I said, light, light refreshments will be served. We do have some limited parking available, so uh, we'll see you there. Excellent. Thanks so much, Samantha. Thanks, Linda. You take care. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Samantha Harding is the communications director with the Lieutenant Governor's office. We're going to go now to Torbay Town Councillor Ralph Tapper. Hello. Good morning, Linda. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. It's great to hear about all these celebrations that are happening over the summer. Where it's uh, it's it was highly anticipated, and I'm sure it's going to be a great summer for everybody. And a welcome Uh, respite. Yes, for sure. And it's glad to hear that you open up the. uh, uh, in a program by mentioning the uh, our, all the athletes are going to the summer games uh, it's uh, they're making history again and and uh, you know they're, they're going to enjoy every minute I'm sure and and as is Alex Newhook now celebrating look, look at his accomplishment so uh, I, I'm just tying into that because uh, we're, we're having a celebration here in Torbay uh, actually this this Saturday evening it's a, it's a sports reunion and we're inviting not only people from Torbay but from all around the Northeast Avalon area to come and join uh, and celebrate our history. We've got a great history of sports in Torbay, as you know. And uh, like I say, Saturday afternoon, we're having a public display uh, with all the artifacts, uh, old jerseys, uh, uniforms, whatever, uh, celebrating our sports history. And then we're having a sports reunion and inviting everybody uh, at 8 o'clock to the, to the Common Community Centre and um, just get friends together. You know, we competed against each other. Uh, we fought on the ice and on the, on the softball pitch and everything. We were great, great competitors, but uh, we ended up with, with great friendships. So that's what we, we want to accomplish this weekend. What always amazes me about people who get together uh, who haven't seen each other in a long time, particularly those who are involved in sports, is they always remember those plays. Oh, they always remember yeah. that, that one play on yeah, a Tuesday yeah. evening up at the such-and-such such arena and remember when so-and-so number seven yeah. did this and, and everybody remembers. Uh, exactly. And, you know, the stories go back and friends of mine who, who I played hockey against in the Avalon East League, 
you know, they they come up to you and they say, remember that time I turned you inside out coming in over the blue line? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, they'll remember that. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. But that's that's what it's all about. It's all about friendships and and laughs, having a drink together and and, and everybody going home happy. So uh, just that's what my intent is to, uh, you know, if you want to drop down yourself, I know that Patty was was always into sports and, and if he's feeling better on Saturday evening, come and join us, Patty. You've been here before and helped us celebrate. So uh, everybody is more than welcome. Really appreciate this, uh, Ralph. So a big sports reunion in the town of Torbay Saturday. Uh, there'll be a public display of some of the old jerseys, and that'll bring back a lot of memories for sure. And then you have a get-together yeah. of uh, uh, current and past athletes uh, from uh, Torbay and outside the area, uh, 8 p.m. at the community center. Yeah, just to mention, the public display is from 2 to 5 at the community center. It's more geared to uh, our uh, younger athletes, and we're going to recognize some of them as well, like Nicholas Codner and Team Perry, the, the curlers. Uh, so then uh, 2 to 5 for, for younger people, and then the uh, adults from 8 to 12. Oh, that's great. Uh, Ralph, I'm so happy you uh, called to let us know about this. Uh, thanks so much and hope you have a really big turnout. Thank you, Lynn. I really, really appreciate the, the doing this for us. And Thank how you how are you feeling after you were turned inside out? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still looking for, for those hockey pants. <laughs> <laughs> Ralph, thanks. <laughs> okay. Alrighty. Thanks, Linda. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Um, we're going to go now to Tina. You're on the air. Hello, Tina. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, Darlin, my problem is with the healthcare system. Okay. Uh, I know we are short-staffed on doctors and everything. I think they should push to get the Ukrainians. They're here to help. If they want to help, they should get them in and certified as soon as possible and get them into the workforce. I spent eight hours at St. Clair's yesterday. Um, only to see after five hours out sitting in agony and pain that a worker from St. Clair's came in, got registered, went up to the registration desk that I work here, called into the triage nurse. Uh, uh, they treated her there and took her right on into a room. She never had to come back out and wait like we did. A gentleman there for over 12 hours with a heart attack, uh, waiting out in the chair, went up to speak to somebody on it. Oh, you have to sit down, sir. You have to wear your mask. You have to sit down. They'll get to you when they can. I know they were busy. They said everything inside was blocked and all this. I mean, something has to be done with our health care system. It's ridiculous. Did you get any satisfaction after those eight hours? Uh, I was told to go home. If your pain persists, come back tomorrow. Now, they've done blood work and x-ray. Uh, no, we can't see anything. Uh, well, something is causing my pain. I didn't go up there to sit on my ass for eight hours uh, for nothing. And um, that's what I was told. Now, we're not dismissing you, he said. Uh, if, if it gets worse, you come back and what, sit there for another eight hours to wait to be seen and have that said all over again. 
It's ridiculous. Were there a um, lot of people waiting there at the time? Yes, there was, my darling. The waiting room was full. Uh, you even had people just had to stand up and wait. A lot of people got set up and left. A lot of people, I understand, are there because they have no family doctor. So you have to go to emerge to be seen to get something done. Like, I mean, hurry up, get off your ass, hurry up, and get the Ukraine certified. Like you said, I heard you earlier, they want to get in. They want to give back to society for us taking them in from their war over there. Like, hurry up. What's the problem? And, of course, all of these things uh, require processes and the like, and sometimes it's not easy to expedite those things. But we are hoping to hear from the health minister and find out where all that stands uh, now coming up in the next hour or so. So stay tuned. Yeah, and also, like I said, I mean, I know with the pandemic and everything else, well, everything is on backlog. I mean, I'm waiting to see a surgeon. And I was asked last night, oh, when is your appointment? I said, I don't know. I said, I'm still waiting to hear for, you know, from a surgeon so that I can get a date as to when I can see her. And I said, that could be another two years down the road before I get to see somebody. Right? It is ridiculous. Our healthcare system is gone to the dogs. Tina, I appreciate your call this morning. Uh, you stay well. Thanks, Freddie. You have a good day, love. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, well, uh, you know, though, how many of us have stories like that? Um, I'd like to hear what you have to say. And, um, you know, the stress and strain on healthcare workers has been extraordinary, too. And uh, it's a, a good time to remind people, you know, it's not their pro fault, if you know what I'm saying. So um, please don't take it out on uh, people in the healthcare system when you get frustrated with the uh, system as a whole. We're going to take a very short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you now's your chance weekdays on vocm it's open line with your host patty daly join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m to noon on your vocm we get people talking and we're back we're gonna go now to charlie you're on the air uh yes good morning linda hi charlie hi beautiful morning again yes indeed what's it like there on the eastport peninsula uh, a little bit cool and cloudy, and that, that, that's, that's what I regret as beautiful weather at this time. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm tired of the sun and dry. <laughs> I think uh, there's a lot of people who would agree with you on that, as much as uh, Newfoundlanders and Labradorians do love their little bit of sunshine. Yes. Linda, have you heard of the, 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 the bug that's getting stronger? It's been around quite a while, and it's getting stronger as, as time goes on. It, uh, it, it makes COVID look, look, look like a Sunday school picnic. Uh, have you heard of, 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 of the bug called affluenza? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I understand what you're trying to say there, I think. <laughs> There's a great bo a book r r written about it. I'm uh -huh. just starting to get now. But anyway, I, I want to I make a comment on the bug affluenza. Basically, the definition is extreme materialism and consumerism associated with the pursuit of wealth and success. And the result is a life of chronic dissatisfaction, debt, overwork, stress, and impaired relationships. That would be the, uh, I guess, the dictionary definition of it. 
keeping up with well, the Joneses, I think we used to call it one time. That is. It's not only keeping up with the Joneses, you've got to do better than the Joneses, right? Yeah, it's a it's no. a continuous uh, pursuit. It's a it's a, a a rat wheel. It's a rat race and a rat wheel. Uh, I refer back again, as I've done several times, to the Club of Rome, a group of uh, very uh, educated and very wise people met in Rome in the late seventies, early eighties, and they basically looked at the world and said, "We cannot continue as we're going. It is not sustainable. Something has to give." Now, I maintain that the something has to give, we're in that stage now. When you look around us, we always talk of uh, what's happening with our ear. The chemistry of the ear has changed. Records are falling like like 10 pins every summer. I mean, a record is supposed to last 10, 20, 30 years, maybe. They, they, they break every year now. You had your runways melting. In, in uh, Britain, they couldn't even use the runways. Uh, they've never experienced anything like this before. If you look around, you've got wildfires uh, uh, galores everywhere, especially out west. The, uh, it's not only the, the, the atmosphere and what, what we're doing with that, and we'll continue to do with the, with, with, with the burning of, uh, of the fossil fuels. If you look at the oceans, there's a very good book called The Savage Ocean. They look at how every fishery, every major fishery in the world has been uh, fished out commercially and by pirates. They just go to an area and they just decimate it and move on to something else. You look at what we put in the oceans. When we go to a supermarket, it's all plastics. Most of the plastics end up in uh, in landfills or in the ocean. What we're doing, and, and, and then if you look at the land, because these are all the things that sustain us, of course, good air and water and, 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 and uh, land, that's being paved over like you wouldn't believe, especially the farming areas. That's being chopped down, especially in uh, uh, tropical areas for uh, making farms. Palm oil is one, uh, and, and uh, raising cattle. That's another story in itself. So every part of our home, the air, water, soil, trees, every, everything is being uh, totally attacked and decimated. As, as that goes on, the population rises. We try to take people out of poverty. And, of course, when we take people out of poverty, we, uh, we let them add to the problem. And, 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 and you can't help that because you have to help people out of poverty. So it's, it's really, uh, I don't know what you would call, a sort of a feedback system. Uh, uh, and, I, and I don't get it when, when, like a Greta Thunberg comes out and says we should live simply and, and uh, make changes in our energy and that. But, but then you get a Kardashian who comes out. And she's followed much more on the internet than Greta Thunberg ever will. And it's and 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 her message is 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 like governments buy 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 grow grow grow, and uh, that's what people tend toward uh, even even the younger people on on the internet today. So with all that, I guess I'm asking: Are we uh, insane on this planet? Are we just stupid? Schools uh, don't do anything about it. They'd rather teach two by two x by two x is four x and show them how to grow a potato. Uh, governments, 
want us want us to consume like mad. That's that's in their interest. Parents want their children to uh, be better than that than they were. So who, who encourages besides the few Greta Thunbergs? Who encourages simple living and getting off this mad wheel that doesn't make us happy anyway? I, I've heard Tom on on this show talk about it. Other than Tom, I don't hear too much about it. You know. Anyway, I'll I'll stop with my rant there. And if you want to comment. Well, yeah, it is sobering, absolutely. And and when you talk about affluenza and the imp- impact it's having on um, the climate and our environment, it's also having an impact, of course, on society and how we interact with each other. You, I, I think a lot of us here in Newfoundland and Labrador can remember almost uh, to the day when things started to change here and we started to get that bit of wealth coming in with the oil and gas and how society changed. almost overnight now instead of people stopping in the roadway uh, and talking to each other which was a fairly common practice in Newfoundland and Labrador now we're all trying to race past each other and we're getting involved in crashes and the like everybody's in a rush everybody's trying to get ahead of someone else and that was never you know what we were like well that that one is serious but we could survive it but there's no way you can you you can destroy your home and, and our home is this beautiful planet that we have. There's no way you can destroy that and go on as 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 as, as we're going. And that's why we're saying one person per second moving off their, their land, small farmers per second now across the world because it's changed, it's too dry, it's too hot, they don't have any water. Uh, Linda, I I don't know where it's going to end, I fear for my grandchildren. Uh, you and I will probably be won't see the worst of this, although it's looking looking pretty bad right now. If anybody wants wants to uh, look at the news at all, and uh, I think what bothers me more is that uh, the efforts being made to ameliorate it are so weak. They go to these conferences, these climate conferences, and then they come back with all these goals. They never meet them. They talk about something going to happen 50 years hence, when, when they're all dead. So, I don't know. <laughs> I guess the changes have to come from the bottom and, yeah. and go up, if you know what I'm saying, as opposed to top down, because uh, it's our individual choices that will make the difference. Um, because if we have to wait for policies or, or regulations to change, I, I fear it's not going to happen. Well, you take small vehicles, small houses, big houses, and so on. Most of the people in, on, on this planet, if they have the money, they will chose a big vehicle. Uh, they will chose a big home. There's a lot picking small homes and saying they, they don't need this extra stuff anymore. But they're still in the minority. They have to be in the majority because, as you said, it's, it, it would have to come from, from, from the bottom. And uh, I don't think people make the connections with all these choices that they make. E- ego choices very often, trying to outdo somebody else. They have no conception of how this affects our world. If you, somebody gave an example, if everybody lived like people in the United States and Canada, we would need five planets to have the resources to have everybody live like that. And that's, that's pretty astounding. That is astounding. Charlie, you've given us a lot of food for thought there. Thank you very much. Okay, Linda, all the best. All right.
Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to go now to Gordon. You're on the air. Hi, Gordon. Hello, Linda. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Very good. At least I think I am. <laughs> good. <laughs> Why I'm calling this morning, I'm calling. We're a small community. Pont Lance is a very small community. We have a lovely beach of sand about a mile, a little over a mile line. But we have the beach is covered with dead birds. Now, don't seem to be anybody doing anything about it. Tars, gannets, ticklers. I drove by the beach this morning. There's tars, live tars standing on the sand. There's dead tars on the sand. There's nobody doing anything about it. Now, you're the first person I talked to. But there's people in this community, after talking to a lot of people, wildlife departments, government people, there's nobody, nobody doing anything about it. So this is part of that big die-off that we've been hearing about off the south coast. So there, these dead birds are washing in on the beach there in Point Lance? Yes, my dear. And we're, uh, we're next door to the bird sanctuary. We're about four miles from the bird sanctuary, Cape St. Mary's. The bird sanctuary, one of the biggest in North America. Now, there's nobody. We have a lot of people coming to visit our community and walk the sand. This is dangerous. You know, there's, there's nothing being done about it. I so this is the same as do. this is the same as a whale beaching there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, there, there's not if they, I know probably they can't do very much. But if you had somebody in place to get up the dead birds, bury them, dig a hole, bury them, do something. This is how there's nobody doing one thing about it. There's, I don't hear much talk on the media about it. But if we have a small oil spill in the winter around the Grand Banks, there's a big, oh, there's a big deal. But this is a bigger deal than the, the, the oil spill on the Grand Banks. So you're fearful that this is going to have a, a, a health impact on anybody who goes down there or people in the community? Yes, my dear. Yes. Yeah. This is, this is getting serious. This is very serious. But there's no, nobody doing anything about it. I mean, there's, I didn't talk to them. You were the first person I talked to. But you get kind of fed up with this. I drive the beach. I turn. I drive by the beach this morning. I drive by that beach every morning. I drive across the beach sometimes on my bike, but I'm, I'm not going on the beach now. Gordon, you know? do you mind giving us your last name? Corrine, C-A-R-E-E-N. Um, so you want to know why uh, there doesn't seem to be any government action there? Has anyone called uh, the wildlife or, or DFO? Yes, I was talking to somebody this morning. He told me he was after talking yesterday, the day before yesterday, he said he was on the phone all day. He talked to wildlife. He talked to other different departments. I don't know where, but he told me, but he said there's nobody seemed to, you know, just said yes or no. I'll pass along the message. No, the message's not been passed along. It's time for people to step up and do something about this. Government people put somebody in place to get up those dead birds. This is serious. Gordon, I, I appreciate your call this morning and for bringing it to us, our, our, our attention. Any um, pictures on the go? Well, I guess, yeah, but I don't have any. I'm not, I'm not up great on the, on the computer and stuff, but I guess there's no trouble to get pictures. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. All right, Gordon, I appreciate you bringing this to our attention, and if anybody else has anything to say on it, uh, we're going to try and get some answers on it. Uh, how about your MHA? Well, I thought of that this morning. No, I didn't call her, and I... Be truthful, I never called her. I probably called her after I talked to you. Yeah. And, you know, Linda, this, I don't know if you ever walked the beach. You should. It's a lovely beach. But this is going to destroy our beach. People's not going to go on it. We have a, a, a little over a mile 
of sand. Not of sand, but uh, I don't know. Just to cover with dead birds now, so. Yeah, it's a it's a shocking situation. Uh, Gordon, I, I appreciate your call this morning. Thank you. Yeah, very good. Thank you very much. Alrighty. Bye bye. Uh, so yeah, we've got this uh, big die-off of birds off the south coast, which is alarming in and of itself. But a lot of these uh, bird carcasses now washing up on the beach in Point Lance, creating another type of problem. Um, and if there's anybody out there who knows uh, what the solution is to that, they're welcome to give us a call. Um, we'll be back right after this. And we're back. Uh, we're going to go now to Tom in Dunville. Hello, Tom. Hello. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm just calling because we had a bit of rain in Dunville last night, and uh, the 29-year-old problem from flooding is we got flooded out again. And the street that I live on, everybody there is a senior citizen, and wake up every time we have 40 or 50 mils of rain, and uh, you got a foot of gravel on the road or in your driveway or on your lawn is is kind of not acceptable to me, and I'm after calling on open line several times, and it don't seem like it gets the point across. So how, totally. how is this, what's the solution then? What needs to be done to uh, alleviate? Well, back in 2010, or sorry, back in 2007, they put in a system after Chantel washed out the street, and basically was poorly engineered and and very poorly maintained ever since. There's some uh, manholes that haven't been cleaned out since it was installed in 2008. And that was a kind of uh, an add-on that the Department of Highways added on. And right now, if you go up and look at it, it's about 20 inches of gravel in a 36-inch pipe that enters through the storm sewer on Station Hill and joins on to the highways at the bottom of Station Hill. And the council won't clean it out because it's the highway's catch basin. And the highways don't clean it out because the council puts the gravel in there. So that's what they're, they're playing that cat and mouse game since 2008. And it's the and property he, owners that are suffering. And yes, I mean, the guy that next door to me, and I mean, he used to have to put up plywood and everything to keep the gravel from going in the going in his yard, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, we're all paying our taxes, we all pay them on time, and, you know, there's, it's just, uh, it just drives me. So Not where's the gravel that, coming I, from? Is it from the shoulders of the road? No, it's uh, coming from an old train track. When they took up the track, it hasn't been maintained since, and I believe it's the government of Newfoundland's responsibility to keep that ditched and everything. That hasn't been nothing done since the track was taken up. And with all the traffic with ATVs, I mean, the water kind of seems to follow the path of all that stuff. But nothing has been maintained. And uh, not only that, I had a furniture store that was profitable for over 25 years. And I had a warehouse that was a pile of money spent on. And ever since I bought it in 93, I've been flooded out 20 times in... uh, in uh, that 29-year period. The fact that I couldn't collect no insurance on it, I couldn't buy no insurance on it, so I couldn't get no loan to do no major repairs on it. The money I spent on it was based out of my own pocket. And uh, 
right now I'm in the process of taking down a building. I mean, it took me 20 years to get it where it was, and uh, now i got to take it down. I'm still getting charged a commercial rate on the property. And uh, I used to have a 15-foot parking spot in front. You could park angrily you know, on the road. And last year, the highways came and put in a high curb. So now I can't access my property, although it's commercial. And if I wanted to sell it to somebody else, I mean, there's a high curb put right in front of the property. I mean, you wouldn't do it nowhere else, but they done it to me. So they ruined my business because I, without a warehouse, you can't operate a furniture store with no place to put your stuff. And then they ruined, basically ruined the building from washing it out. And and now with the curb put there, the property for for resale is worth basically nothing. And there's no end in sight. So Uh, what kind of recourse is available to you? Hmm? What kind of recourse is available to you? Well, right now there's one court case on the go from 2012. I filed a statement of claim against both parties. And the liar from the, we'll say, for the province, he hasn't responded to not one phone call. So right now I'm in process of... uh, contact the premier's office and see if we can get him on the ball. But anyway, that's one case. But I mean, the, my whole parking lot got washed away in 2020, September. And basically right now I'm taking out a building. I've got room to park the truck in front, not even sideways. And I used to have a 47-foot tractor trailer there that they said, oh, yeah, you're too close to the road. But now, I mean, <laughs> the road now is, is in on my doorstep, basically. And, you know, what do you do? And I was, had a meeting with uh, official from the Department of Highways back in April 20, and he said, yeah, we're going to bring in a truck next week, and uh, we're going to clean out that uh, manhole. And then that was April 20th, and that was July 20th, probably, and no truck ever showed up. Well, you can't fight city council, as the saying goes. Um, you've, uh, well, you can't, you can't fight government, because they're always the winners. And you can't fight city hall. They said, well, waste of time. But, you know, <laughs> I guess I'm going to keep on fighting anyway, because uh, the killer is when I bought that building when I was 35 years old, and I just turned 65 last week. Here I am, 30 years of misery because of negligence and... Basically, one person blame another. I mean, it's just cat and mouse, I call it. Tom, and for uh, to tell me that I that I got commercial property that's been commercial since 1953 that I should park down behind the building. I mean, come on, you know, like how sensible is that? I mean, you were down the wood hole and you wanted to go in through the front door. You're not going to go down behind. I mean, it don't make any sense. I mean, she was sent an email on June the 1st that do not put a high curb in front of my building. I spoke to the superintendent and told him not to put it there. I told the two engineers not to put it there. And they were the same two engineers that worked on the road back in 93. They had a trailer shot up next to my property. And... uh, here they are. Come back two months later, three months later, high car put in front, right in front of the building. 
and where they put the drain for collecting the water was put in the wrong spot where the water comes across the main highway. Not where they put the drain, they put it in a different spot. So now my driveway gets washed out. Now is the building lot. Anyway. Tom, we're up to news time, I'm afraid, but uh, I appreciate your call this morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll see what the town has to say. Thanks. Very good. Bye-bye. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And we're back. We're going to go now to the caller on line 2. Hello. Uh, hello, hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Uh, not too good. I'm phoning with regards to what uh, Tom was just talking about, fighting hypocrisy of City Hall. I've got a neighbor who's been without electricity, no hookup at the pole or meter on the house, and he's been bur- he's been running portable electrical generators 24-7 for over 1,750 days, for over five years. City Hall is refusing to do anything. They are hiding behind, apparently, uh, exemptions. I was told by a city inspector that I would have to go to court to prove that small portable electrical power generators, three, four, five horsepower generators, are a tool. I got a definition of a tool from the senior legal counsel of St. John's stating that a tool is a device that provides a function. He's over there running the generator 24-7. It's 60 dBs outside my house 24-7. I measured it with a, a decibel meter on my phone. The city of St. John's doesn't even use any kind of decibel levels. Uh, they arbitrarily leave it up to the inspector to decide if something is loud enough or not. Your, your loud and my loud are two different things. But, All I'm getting is the runaround yeah. by uh, city, city council. All they're doing is hiding behind exemptions. Now, doesn't most of these council, exemptions... Yeah, doesn't council have uh, policies and, and regulations in place for the peaceful enjoyment of your property? That, that's uh, Mount Pearl, man. Mount Pearl got a peace and tranquility clause. Mount Pearl's uh, bylaw, noise bylaws, are seven pages long. Uh, St. John's are three. I was told by the same legal counsel that St. John's council has to get approval from the Newfoundland government to amend any bylaw. So we can't even amend our own bylaws. He's been over there for five years living without electricity. I'm the only one complaining about it because we're the the last two houses on the road. Nobody else. I mean, imagine if this was going on in Rabbit Town or the densely populated downtown where 20 neighbors could hear it. They're not doing anything. He's over there living without electricity for five years. And the city council won't do nothing. They're hiding behind what they say are exemptions. If no exemption has been issued, there's no emergency. There's no repairs ongoing at the house. There's no emergency. And uh, the noise bylaw states that you're not supposed to run any tool for domestic purposes other than snow blowing between the hours of 11 and 7. St. John City refuses to do anything. Uh, I said for five years he's been running it. I've uh, asked him for the last two years to stop it. All I've gotten are threats. Uh, I was assaulted by his son on my own property. He come in and laid a big old haymaker at me, never laid a finger on me, but that's an assault. He threatened to burn my house down over this because he's living 
like uh, I don't know. Obviously, he's, he's flaunting the laws. Emotions are high, uh, yes, and I, I'm not really interested in all the back and forths and the uh, uh, allegations uh, going on. But refuse to do anything. But you're raising a, a good point about uh, noise bylaws and yes, the like. ma'am. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Saint, uh, Saint uh, Mount Pearls, uh, it's night, and they have, like I say, they have their own peace and tranquility clause. St. John's refuses to do anything. I was told by my ward councillor that they had an emergency meeting. We sent them video. I've got video documenting the noise at 2 o'clock in the morning. No come here at 2 o'clock in the morning with, uh, and, uh, and listen to it. I had a city inspector look at me and say, boy, that's not loud enough. But that's arbitrary, isn't it? How come St. John's can't have a decibel meter and say anything over, you know, constant exposure to even low levels of noise is a hazard? is a health hazard, right? I can't open it, my windows in my house because that's all I hear is the low drone of that motor. And the it's motor obviously is, having an impact on you. meters from my house, and I'm hearing it at 60 dB at my front door. Yeah, it's obviously having an impact on you. It is. I'm a whole family. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't understand why the city cannot even allow them to say, shut it off at 11 o'clock. That's all I'm asking for. He can live any way he wants over there. All I want is the peace and quiet that every other citizen of St. John's is getting. All right. Caller, I hear the frustration in your voice. Uh, and these are the things, you know, when um, when complaints are raised and and uh, is met with inaction, this is what happens. These kinds of things start to escalate, the and it's really unfortunate. The are not worth the paper they're printed on. All right. Caller, I, I appreciate your call this morning. We'll see what others have to say. I'll call back in a month's time, and I bet you nothing else will be done. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, yeah, you can certainly hear the frustration in his voice. Uh, we're going to go now to uh, line one. Hello. 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 Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm all right. I'm Clayton. And how are you? Oh, good. No, I tell you, no, I phoned Patty the other day, but that got nothing to do with you. I phoned about the Newfoundland Labrador housing. Okay. Okay. Now... I'm in, I'm with them 22 years, man. Now, I live down in Alexander Place. Now, on that street, Alexander Place is on the baser. And I lived in 811. I just told you the place. Yeah, there. okay, you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, okay. I hope you I'm caught sorry. that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, my love. I'm sorry. All right, no, that's fine. Well, how confused. You know how confusing it is when yeah. you're... All right, so you're having an issue with Newfoundland and Labrador housing, and what's the issue? Yes, then? yes, honey. So I'm with them 22 years, you see? Yeah. And uh, uh, when I was down there living, and, oh, I must have been down there seven or eight years, this uh, young lady came along and had some papers in her hand, and uh, she was nice and everything, right? And anyway, Lord and behold, she said, Mr. Burry, what do you think they should do with those eight buildings down here in Pleasantville? And I paused for a few minutes because, you know, you had to think what you were going to say. So anyway, I said, I think they should tear them down. So I signed the paper, and that's what was that's what I said. They should tear them down, and up to this day, I think you should tear them down, because I don't think the right hand 
or the left hand don't know what the right hand is doing in there. So what buildings are you talking about? Are they vacant? Pardon me? These buildings you said that should be torn down. No, I'm, li- I'm, I'm living in them, honey. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Uh, so, all right. I'm, I'm living. I'm living in those buildings. Right. So window, they they want to know window. what can be done there, and you say the only thing that can be done is to tear them down. Well, that's what I said 22 years ago. Okay. Okay. Now I signed the paper. You see. But anyway, I got windows leaking, windows blowing in. <laughs> I, I had a big leak last night. Who's Hello? your MHA? Is that John Abbott? Pardon me? Is your MHA John Abbott? My name John Abbott? No, is your MHA John Abbott, the member for... Oh, 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 oh yeah, but now I can't get a hold of John. John is a hard lad to get a hold of sometimes. I, I mean, he's busy, I guess. But I can't say nothing about... He's busy, but he's to... responsive. I'll tell you that much. Uh, and well, he's... I'll tell you, Lorraine Michael's done her best for us. And that's his uh, that's his portfolio, actually, Newfoundland and Labrador yeah, Housing. Yeah, well, yeah, and uh, Lorraine was our member down here at the time, and she was a very nice person. If there was anything she could do for you, she would do it. So as all I'm putting out is, it's on Veterans Road. That's where I live. So I can't, and I mention no names, but. That's all I got to say, my love. But, you want some you know, action taken on, on uh, the state of the... Oh, my God, the state of the building is like uh, the song Elvis used to sing, Little Maghetto. <laughs> uh, Clayton, I appreciate your <laughs> that's call. What start, that's what it's starting to look like, my dear. Yeah, I hear you. Um, yeah. uh, thanks, Clayton. We'll see uh, if the minister uh, is able to get back to you on that. Yeah, okay then. All right, thank you. And I, th- I, I thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we're going to take a short break, uh, and when we come back, we hope to speak with you. And we're back. We're going to go now to the, oh, it's Nancy Reed with Cottonelle. Hello, Nancy. Hi, Linda. How are you today? <laughs> great. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I'm just thinking, you know, some days in the line of work that I'm involved in, there are good days. And then some days there are great days. And this is a great day. So oh, I'm really excited why. to be here. Tell yeah. us why. Thanks so much. Um, at the Coalition of Persons with Disabilities, we have recognized for some time that um, there are a lot of people in this province who need different types of adaptive technology and technologies that can't be easily purchased by an individual uh, for lots of reasons. And we know that there are um, not enough supports offered uh, by our government programs to support those needs. And uh, today we get to announce that we have a new exciting program uh, that's going to enable people with disabilities in this province to access adaptive technology that they've needed for some time. So it's a really exciting day. Now, if I could, I'll just speak to what adaptive technology is, because sometimes we use words that you know aren't easily understood. But adaptive technology is simply uh, something that makes um, access easier for people with disabilities uh, and for people in general. But some types of adaptive technology are things like wheelchairs or walkers or braces or um, canes, that type of thing, when we think about mobility disability. It also thinks about um, things like 
technical aids for computers. Uh, maybe it's a special app on your phone that would help a person with vision loss be able to see things differently using this app or to be able to interpret what products are. Um, there's lots of different um, uh, software that's available that assists people with different types of learning disabilities, for instance, or you know sensory disabilities. And the list goes on and on and on. Um, so adaptive technology is really just a big term that talks about a lot of different types of devices that make life easier and make uh, access and inclusion more possible for people with disabilities. Sure. So it's a broad range. Absolutely. So how does this program work then? How does it allow people to get greater access to whatever adaptive technology they may need? Well, basically, it's uh, it's a system that um, what I'd like to say first, I guess, is that this opportunity has come about by a uh, an investment by the North Pine Foundation, and the North Pine Foundation has actually given us um, this fund as a catalytic investment to board opportunities to continue its growth. This right now is a pro- it's a pilot project. Um, we have a quarter of a million dollars to provide adaptive technology to people in this province, and we certainly hope that we don't let me say we don't anticipate we're going to meet everybody's need with this but we really hope to be able to uh, provide access and inclusion adaptive technology to to everybody that we can we can fund under this particular program and we certainly hope that through this process we'll identify further needs we'll identify where further barriers are and be able to hopefully connect with other partners going forward to help us uh, you know do this work further so this two hundred and fifty thousand dollars now you say it's not going to meet everyone's need but it will help Uh, so what are you doing are you purchasing adaptive technology do you know which things you're going to purchase if you know what i mean because it's a broad range of things Uh, are you going to have a sampling of all things how does it work Okay, well, what we have is we've got an application process. The hard work is going to be done by the coalition and by the staff here. Uh, we've got a dedicated staff person to do this work for the next month. And so the, the, the hard work is going to be done internally. What we're asking of individuals who feel that they have a need that, that the adaptive technology program can, can answer, uh, we have an application process. It's available on our website, www.codnl.ca, C-O-D-N-L.ca. Uh, we also have a couple of phone numbers, and I can give those out and, and an email address, and you can speak to the program coordinator directly. The application process is really simple and easy. Um, it's, uh, there, there are a couple of applications. Uh, you can choose the one that you ch- want to fill out. What I mean by that, you can do it through email or you can mail in the application. And basically, in that application, we're simply asking you things like uh, the type of technology that you're looking for. Um, you know, If there's somebody that has recommended it with you, like a professional, some people work with an occupational therapist or a social worker or somebody with another uh, Um, um, not-for-profit organization around sensory disability or learning disability. We want people to tell us what they need, and then uh, we'll go about uh, a process of determining their eligibility for that. There's a really simple uh, eligibility criteria. Basically, you must be a resident of the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. You must identify as having a disability. You must also identify that 
what you need is not currently covered, um, you know, by any other source for you. So you don't have, um, you know, private insurance that can cover that type of thing. And uh, we want to know that, you know, that by purchasing it yourself would be financially difficult at this time. And we've got a process identified to, to, uh, to help walk you through all of those things. Um, and so and we'll, we'll do the work from there. We expect a great number of individuals to be uh, able to receive assistance through this program. So we're really looking forward to getting this process started. The application deadline, for this call at least, is August 26th. So it opens today. And our staff person is available. Her name is Hope Colburn, and she's available and, and waiting for people to call and contact. Uh, and we're going to be doing that until the 26th of August. If we have funding available after that time, we'll certainly continue, uh, you know, to to, um, to honor request. But uh, we will certainly process anything received up to the 26th of August. And I'll also say that um, this will not be done. Uh, on a first-come, first-served basis in that space. We want people to reply and respond, uh, you know, as, as soon as they can. Obviously, we want to start the process of, um, of considering eligibility and stuff like that. But uh, we will not be closing the door on the program until the 26th of August. We're trying to give ample time for people to really respond and, uh, and make application in a way that's meaningful for them. So this has the potential to really make some big changes in some people's lives. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we're about removing barriers for people with disabilities, and barriers are individually experienced. Um, an individual with a physical mobility disability might need something that is uh, specifically created for them. It might be, uh, you know, a particular orthotic or a brace or something like that that they can't afford, uh, but would give them the support that they need to be able to be more independent. Uh, and so we'll work with you know, the professionals involved in that to help that get that, that particular orthotic created, as one example. Uh, sometimes individuals who have a mobility need and use a wheelchair uh, would need a particular type of wheelchair developed that is customized to their body type and their, to their abilities and their needs. And so we work with the, uh, you know, the, the uh, you know, the, the physiotherapist, occupational therapist, and other medical uh, team in that space to ensure that they have what they need. We also will be working with some of our not-for-profit organizations who are, you know, we work with frequently. Specifically, one of those might be the Learning Resources, uh, I'm sorry, Learning Disabilities Association. And they have a number of programs where they work with individuals and identify uh, different types of adaptive technology, different types of um, devices that would be used as the apps on their phone or uh, particular types of screen readers, that type of thing, software for their computers. And so we'll work with individuals uh, to enable people to ensure that they have the right device that's removing barriers for them. And those barriers can be barriers to school. They can be barriers to employment. They can be barriers to just your real living. Being able to help people um, just just access their lives more appropriately within some level of independence. Right, Here, because not all disabilities are apparent uh, to absolutely. the average person, that, uh, but they can still be very profound. For sure. And, you know, we, some of the things that most of us take for granted so easily, you go to a grocery store and you're not sure if, the, you know, what's on that label. Well, there's apps on your, that you can get on your phone that will actually read that label for you. But it might be a barrier to access if you don't have that 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 software. So of us don't even have the device to enable us to use that software. So at the program, we're really considering all of those areas. This is about 
removal of barriers for people with disabilities in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. It's about enabling people to have access to their lives. That's what we're about. Nancy Reed, I'm so happy you reached out to us today. I really appreciate this. It, yeah, you, you started off by saying, you know, you have good days and you have great days. This is a great day. This sounds like a great day. I really appreciate your call. Thank you so much, Linda. And I, if I could, I just want to, can I just give out the phone numbers? What? For sure. Okay. So the local number is 597-8596. The 800 number, one 800 846 nine four two zero and our uh, the program coordinator is easy easy email address simply at for adaptive technology at at codnl.ca codnl.ca if you have any questions don't hesitate to reach out to hope again it's all on our website codnl.ca and uh, we really can't wait to get this process started in addition we really want to be able to learn from this and use this as a way to partner with other investments. We believe that this is only the tip of the iceberg. We know that there are so many barriers that can be removed by people, by, by organizations, but removed for people with disabilities in this province. We know that the resources are not there by our government. It hasn't been happening, and this is an opportunity for us to address some of the needs that we know really exist. Uh, it's a human rights thing. We, need, we all need to have access to the community. Nancy Reed, Codinell, appreciate your call. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And uh, we'll be back uh, right after this. Uh, When we come back, we're going to speak with uh, Christopher Mercer with the Life-Saving Society. This has been um, a really tragic summer in terms of uh, swimming mishaps and drownings. Uh, And we're going to talk a little bit about um, water safety when we come back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And we're back. And unfortunately, we lost Christopher Mercer with the Life Saving Society. He had to go to work. So uh, unfortunately, we missed that. But we will be talking to him in the next little while. So uh, you can uh, stay tuned to VOCM and we'll have the latest on that. Now we're going to go to the Minister of Health, Tom Osborne. Hello. Hey, Linda. How are you? I'm good. This is our first time chatting as health minister. Well, first time chatting again as yes. health minister. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, we, we've done this before, but... But uh, we're, we're ready to do it again. Excellent. So, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of challenges happening right now. And I, I guess uh, front of mind, because it's been in the news in the last couple of days anyway, is this this whole issue uh, regarding some of the Ukrainian doctors who ended up coming over here. And thank you for coming to Newfoundland and Labrador. And we're happy to see you and we're happy to uh, welcome you. Uh, but um, they're saying, look, you know, this accreditation process is <laughs> a little bit much, so what's what's happening there? I understand you're meeting with them tomorrow. Well, you know, the accreditation process is uh, time-consuming. So we are working with the, the College of Physicians and Surgeons. Uh, we're working with, with Memorial. Uh, you know, we don't want to reduce the bar on patient safety, but we are looking to try and reduce some of the barriers. Um, you know, so those discussions are ongoing, but uh, when a physician trains abroad, uh, practices ab- abroad, uh, there is a, a process in obtaining licensure uh, for Newfoundland and Labrador, including 
uh, you know, ensuring that they have the acceptable medical degree, uh, meeting the standard uh, of English proficiency, um, completing the, the, the Medical Council of Canada qualifying exam. Uh, there's also uh, the requirement uh, for the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada or the College of Family Physicians of Canada uh, that that they need to uh, be certified by one or the other. So there's a process that has to go through. You you know, we, we can't just accept a doctor from another country um, and uh, they land here one week and they, they go to work the next week. And it's I understand that because it is patient safety. The background checks have to be done, have to ensure that there were no complaints or sanctions, have to ensure that there's English proficiency and that, um, you know, the, the, the proper degree is in place. But we also want and need physicians and nurses and other healthcare professionals. So we need to ensure that we lower the barriers um, to get them through the process. So the meeting tomorrow is specifically to talk about the barriers to try and, and reduce some of those challenges. Um, we've uh, indicated uh, and made a decision, uh, you know, the, myself and the Premier um, have had some discussion uh, about the U Ukrainian uh, health professionals. So we are going to cover the cost of licensure um, for the Ukrainian physicians uh, here. Uh, I know that we're providing um, other supports, including English language uh, instruction, uh, but housing supports, MCP supports uh, to our Ukrainian newcomers. Uh, but we don't want them looking at other provinces, so we have to compete with and be better than other provinces, and that's what the meeting is about tomorrow. And, of course, you know, because some people would say, well, why not? They they practice in Ukraine. They should be able to practice here. But uh, the process needs to be rigorous, as you as you indicated. Well, it is patient safety. And, you know, the last thing you, you know, we, we don't want the College of Physicians or Memorial, uh, the accreditation process there to, um, you know, just accept without the accreditation process, and and nor would the Canada, you know, the the, the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada or the College of Family Physicians of Canada allow us to lower the bar on standards. And it is for patient safety. Um, you know, you need to ensure that they have the credentials and they have a solid background. That is part of the process. Now, you know, of course, you're looking at many, many things right now to address some of these gaps in, in healthcare in Newfoundland and Labrador and, and uh, some of the staffing shortages. But one of the issues that has been raised for a very long time now and uh, that some people say really begs to be addressed is, is the whole uh, notion of nurse practitioners and their ability to uh, bill MCP. Where are we with that process? Well, you know, that is a discussion, um, you know, that I know the um, the RNU uh, wish to have with us. It is on, uh, you know, on, on the radar for discussion. Um, we aren't in a position at this particular stage. We've had some discussion, but we aren't in a position at this particular stage uh, to say that, you know, it, uh, it, it will happen or it won't happen. Uh, it, it's an item of active discussion.
So uh, what else is being done now to try to recruit and retain the exhausted, overworked, uh, frustrated healthcare professionals who are out there today? Our healthcare professionals in all disciplines have done an incredibly good job, especially during the pandemic. They need help. Um, you know, they, they have worked hard. They've worked extended hours. Uh, recruitment and retention is one of my top priorities uh, as Minister of Health. It's one of the Premier's top priorities. Um, we've put in, you know, the Premier put in place the Office of Recruitment and Retention, hired uh, a physician to uh, run that office at the ADM level in the department. I've just staffed that office up with additional staff. Uh, there are more staff coming uh, for that office. The regional health authorities have put additional resources in place. I had a meeting with the health authorities yesterday on this topic so that we are working in collaboration, not competing one health authority against the other, but working in collaboration and that we ensure a timely response and a timely process for those we wish to recruit. Um, recruitment of healthcare professionals is an issue in every province of Canada. Uh, the, you know, the premiers at the first minister's meeting, it was a top priority of discussion with them uh, because every province is dealing with it uh, globally. It's a challenge, but Newfoundlanders and Labradorians don't want to hear that it's an issue in Ontario or in Manitoba or in British Columbia. They want us to resolve the issues here, and that is what we are focused on doing. We want to ensure that we are not only as competitive as other provinces, but more competitive in attracting, um, recruiting, and retaining our healthcare professionals. And as I said, you know, I I want to send. Uh, kudos um, and and uh, thanks to our healthcare professionals who've done a, a an incredibly good job. Um, but I also recognise you need help. Uh, you need other health professionals working with you. We are on it. We are focused on it, and we want to ensure. Uh, that we improve the recruitment uh, process in this province, and uh, it is a priority. So uh, you say uh, we need to be competitive or more competitive than other provinces. So what does that mean? Higher remuneration? You know what I'm trying to say. Remuneration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is part of it. And we've got a, a host of um, incentives that we can offer uh, health professionals uh, in this province. Uh, there's, you know, there's uh, working with the NLMA. Uh, I know we, I've had a number of, uh, before I get on to the, the, the physicians and surgeons, because we have other health professionals as well. Uh, I've had meetings with the RNU. Uh, we've been working on, uh, on issues uh, uh, with the RNU and hoping that, uh, you know, in the very, very near future, we'll be able to say more uh, about that. Uh, we will continue working um, 
uh, with Yvette Coffey and, and her executive on resolving some of the issues. We understand that with nursing, as an example, recruitment is also an issue, and it is a major focus of our new recruitment office. We understand there are other health disciplines that recruitment is an issue, uh, and we will be working on uh, on those issues as well. But, you know, as an example, you know, we just signed a memorandum of understanding with the NLMA. Um, we just, um, uh, you know, put in place uh, other incentives for Category B uh, with the NLMA. There are uh, a list of issues that we've agreed jointly to work on uh, in the recruitment of uh, uh, doctors in this province. That's one example. Again, you know, we work with the RNU and we'll continue to do so as well. Uh, we've got a meeting uh, set with the Psychologists uh, Association in the province, um, and, and that meeting is this week. So we will be meeting with each of the disciplines and, and working through how we can better retain and better recruit healthcare professionals in this province. Uh, it is something that, um, as I said, it is, is one of my very top priorities uh, so that we ensure that the people of Newfoundland and Labrador receive the care that they need, where they need it, when they need it. Um, and I will say, you know, uh, this is my second week on the job. Uh, there's a lot of work to do. Um, you know, the, there's um, uh, we won't resolve this uh, by next week or even next month. Um, provincially, there's a great deal of work to do, but we are looking at locations and uh, and. Uh, uh, you know, I, I am absolutely steadfast in uh, in finding the solutions. Well, indeed, uh, uh, and these things are going to take time, of course. But are they the, some of these efforts already starting to reap any rewards? Uh, you know, are you are you hopeful that uh, some of these actions are going to result? Or are you getting some interest? Well, I, I, I met with Dr. Megan Hayes uh, this morning. Um, you know, she is heading up our recruitment and retention office. And, you know, we can say that there is progress being made. Some of the areas in the province that we've had challenges in recruitment, uh, you know, we are actively recruiting healthcare professionals for some of those areas. We will continue to do that. Um, you know, there there's... Um, you know, let me say that the 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 successes are happening, but there are many areas and and uh, a number of health professionals that we need to recruit. But I can say that the office is doing their job, uh, and uh, I believe that we'll we'll see uh, the fruits of of the work that is being put in in the new office of recruitment and retention. And uh, in the meantime now, um, you know, there are immediate needs that need to be filled. Um, how are you filling them? Are we having any success in attracting more locums? Because we've always had to rely on locums uh, to a certain degree. How, where is all that going? We are. Um, you know, we are seeing in, in areas where there are pressure points that, you know, that is a focus in terms of uh, attracting locums. And I've spoken to some of my colleagues uh, in other provinces, and, and they're facing the same challenges. I heard a, a radio program, um, you know, in, in the last couple of days where people from across Canada called in and, and talked about the fact they couldn't get a prescription filled because they couldn't get an appointment or they lost their family doctor and, uh, you know, 
So it is across Canada. Um, but like I said, the people of Newfoundland and Labrador want us to solve the issues in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, and, and that's what we're focused on doing. Um, and um, was there a plan in place prior to um, attracting uh, some of these Ukrainian refugees into Newfoundland and Labrador? Uh, you know, were there specific uh, needs that you were asking people about that could be filled, or was it just about you know getting people out of the out of Poland and out of out of Ukraine? Well, Minister Byrne um, has done a, an exceptionally good job of attracting um, Ukrainians to this province as newcomers. Uh, I'm working closely with Minister Byrne and, in fact, had uh, a meeting with him this morning. I uh, had uh, a discussion uh, with uh, uh, one of his deputies this morning. Uh, they will be part of the meeting tomorrow with the Ukrainian uh, healthcare professionals. So, you know, work is very active on that file. Um, and, you know, the, the Premier and Minister Hagee have put in some very important uh, cornerstones in terms of, you know, whether it's the Health Accord NL or, uh, you know, work with the, um, you know, some of our, our healthcare professional associations. So, you know, work has been ongoing, um, but, you know, the, the, the staffing in the recruitment office literally happened last week, um, and, and additional staffing will happen uh, within the next week or two. So, in terms of the Ukrainian healthcare professionals that we're meeting tomorrow, uh, we'll have a, a very fulsome discussion on some of the challenges they're, they're uh, facing uh, and how we can reduce some of those uh, challenges or, or expedite the process. Um, work is ongoing in terms of uh, some of the additional supports we can provide to uh, our Ukrainian healthcare professionals. And tomorrow's meeting will serve as um, you know, uh, a very important understanding of some of their challenges and meeting those challenges head on. And, you know, I know Mr. Holden, for example, who set up the site uh, has, uh, you know, it, it was through the, a, a posting on that site that we learned of some of the challenges and, and the fact that other provinces are, are looking to recruit. So we will certainly focus on uh, making the road to licensure for our Ukrainian healthcare professionals easier. Is COVID making things more challenging right now? I mean, a lot of us, uh, I think, were of the opinion that we were out of this. We're far from out of it. Uh, a lot of people now testing positive for the virus, including healthcare workers. Uh, what is the situation now? Well, I, you know, I think it's fair to say that COVID has changed the world. Um, one of the, the things that uh, I understand from colleagues across the country that I've spoken with so far is that it has created additional pressures in the healthcare system, additional challenges. Um, and, you know, so we are no different in this province. Um, uh, you know, as Dr. Fitzgerald has said, and, and the Premier and others, we have to start to learn to live with COVID. Uh, COVID has not gone away. Um, and, you know, we will see uh, spikes and, and valleys in terms of the numbers of people that are contracting COVID, uh, which is why vaccination is so important. And, you know, we, you know, Dr. Fitzgerald just announced uh, last week that vaccination for 50 and over, um, you know, for the, the uh, 
the, the uh, supplement uh, vaccine uh, is there. We are working on um, the five and under age in terms of being able to provide the vaccine to that age group. But Newfoundland and Labrador is one of the uh, jurisdictions globally that has the highest rates of vaccination, especially amongst our pediatric populations. Uh, we've done very, very well, and I thank the public for that. Uh, but we all know, um, based on, on the advice and information provided by public health, that the uh, protection provided by the vaccines wanes over time, and, and that's why it's important to get the boosters. Um, we have to leave it there, but uh, Minister Osborne, I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. My pleasure, and I certainly look forward to speaking with you again. All righty. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, and we're way overdue for a break, but uh, lots of important things to uh, discuss there. If you have any thoughts on what the minister has had to say about what's happening uh, or not happening, if you will, um, by all means, do give us a call. We'll be back right after this. And we're back. We're going to go now to Peter. You're on the air. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, thanks. Uh, I'm calling in. I thought it was the job of a city or town council to uh, constructively use the taxpayers' money. Yeah. But uh, here in, in the center city on Calvert Avenue, they're replacing sidewalks, which is great. Um, but I, I was speaking to the foreman or one of the workers uh, who's doing the construction, and he informed me that uh, Newfoundland Power stopped by the other day as they were tearing up the sidewalks and stuff, and uh, he asked them what they were doing. So the you know the, the guy told them they were replacing the sidewalks. So and then the the guy from Newfoundland Power turned around and told them, "Sure, we got to replace the poles next year." So the timing appears to be off. Oh, way off. Well, I mean, you know, they're spending all this money to replace the sidewalks, and now turn around next year, and they got to beat the sidewalks up and take out the poles and replace it and do it all again. Uh, so have you asked city council about that or or your ward councillor about that to see if there was any coordination with Newfoundland Power about their uh, pole replacement schedule? No, I haven't. But, I mean, obviously there wasn't. Then again, there may well very well have been. But, you know, it, it's it, – we've got to say enough is enough. It, it's stupidity is all it is. I mean, they're collecting, you know, they're collecting our tax, our tax money, and they're doing stuff like the sidewalks, and then, you know, they got to turn around, beat it all up, and and do it all again in a year's time. Good money after bad. So the coordination is everything. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's and and I know, you know, another point with all this construction going on is that. You know these these companies that are contracted to do it, they'll go and they'll they'll tear up a section of road, either patching and grind or seek and destroy or whatever you want to call it, uh, and then it's left for seven, eight, nine, ten days. Why is it that they can't do one section and fix it at a time? <laughs> 
rather than tear it up and go on to the next one. You're raising some very interesting points, Peter. I'm glad you called us this morning. Uh, we'll see what others have to say. Thanks. Thank you very much. All righty. Bye-bye. And we're up to news time now with Brian Medore. If you have any thoughts on that, give us a call. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And you know what? I get it. Nerves are frayed. Everybody's working beyond capacity. Uh, we've, we're into summer vacation mode and uh, people are off and people are on vacation and people are sick and all the rest of it and we're all just trying to get by uh, and input is always welcome on this show uh, but when people resort to nastiness and um, you know attacks on someone's integrity that becomes a whole other thing uh, so I would ask people who are engaging with us in a variety of ways just you know we get it. Uh, you, you know, there are important points to be made. There are important questions to be asked. But there's no reason uh, to come down on somebody for not meeting your standard. I'm not sure how to express it. But we're all trying our best here, uh, is all I have to say. Uh, we're going to go now to the mm, opposition critic for health and community services, Paul Din. You're on the air. Good morning, Linda. How are you? I'm not bad. This is timely. I, I was in the queue waiting, and I, I listened to uh, Minister Osborne uh, speak so, on the issue I was calling on, actually. Well, indeed. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, uh, we, need, we need doctors here, no doubt about it, uh, primary care uh, professionals. We need, uh, you know, diagnostic staff, the, the full gamut when it comes to this. But I, uh, you know, you actually asked a question to the minister uh, when talking about these uh, for the Ukrainians coming into the province. Uh, you actually said, you asked, was there a plan in place? And uh, I, my, my quick answer would be no to that. Uh, you look at the, uh, you know, the minister, uh, Minister Byrne and uh, Premier uh, Fury were out to the airport, and, and that was all good. Lots of great pictures and the like. But when you're talking about bringing in foreign prof professionals coming into the country, coming into the province, then, you know, there, there's information that they should have. They should have in advance, and they should be aware of. Um, and, you know, that comes down to communication. I'll tell you, when I, when I worked for government, I, I chaired a... Uh, a committee under the uh, form form of uh, labor market ministers, and that was a, a committee on foreign credential uh, recognition or or FQR foreign qualification recognition, and and a report was produced back in 2009 that outlined the pathway to certification. So very basic information, and that worked on the guiding principles of fairness, transparency, timeliness, and consistency. So so there was information out there. So. If I know that there are doctors or other professionals that are coming into the province, uh, we're bringing them in, uh, they're coming from a terrible situation in Ukraine, then we had a group on the ground uh, in, in Poland, and this information should have been made available to them in advance. Because what it seems to be, we, we see, this government seems to be reactive to this. So... They should have come into this province knowing that, okay, here, here's the pathway to certification. This is the basic pathway. What can we do 
to expedite that without sacrificing, you know, the reason for certification. And that's to ensure that people meet a standard of care or, or meet a standard when they're caring for individuals here in, in a health uh, environment. So, I mean, you you can't uh, reduce the standard. That has to be there. But there, there are ways to look at uh, being more efficient or effective in getting uh, these professionals uh, certified and qualified to, to go to work. And uh, I think we dropped the ball, our government dropped the ball there, not being uh, proactive in, in getting some of that information and some of those uh, activities started sooner than later. Indeed, and I, and I get that. Uh, but, you know, what was the, what was the uh, ultimate goal here? Um, we've been talking about immigration and trying to get our numbers up. Now, this particular situation, the Ukrainians, nobody saw this coming. Uh, well, you know, a few people were fearful of it back in February. But nobody uh, really anticipated how the world was going to react to an invasion by Russia of Ukraine. Uh, so this was an attempt more, I would assume, on a humanitarian level just to say, look, you know, we've got a safe place for you to live. You can work here as well. Uh, you know, he, you know, the, uh, offering that olive branch, if you will, rather than a concerted. And I'm just putting this out there yep. as, a, as a question uh, rather than a concerted immigration policy, because really. Really, immigration is handled on a national level. So this was the province sort of stepping up and, and saying, OK, look, we have a place for you to stay if you can if you can do that. And they happen to have some people on staff who spoke uh, Polish uh, who could help out. So, um, you know, should we have done more in that regard in, in, in saying, OK, here's, here are people who are escaping a war. Yep. How do we take advantage of this? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Well, look, I mean, there's no doubt it's a humanitarian uh, process, uh, for sure. But, but you know, if you go back, the minister spoke to the uh, professionals that were coming and uh, how people are going to work and they're coming in and getting full-time jobs. So that's part of it, and that's part of a plan. You know, you're bringing them, uh, individuals in, they're, they're fleeing a country. You, you have to have a plan in place to, to help these individuals. And part of that is make, helping to find, you know, things like housing and health care and, uh, and jobs and looking at what they have. So, you know, uh, it's apparent to me that that government knew uh, the types of individuals coming and their backgrounds, and I think every effort should have been made to ensure that they could utilize their training to to the maximum potential and and become certified and working in a timely manner. Now, easier said than done. I I, I certainly, you know, I won't argue with the minister on that. It's not not a straightforward process. But when you bring them in, they should at least be aware of the process, be aware of what's going to be required of them, and then look at uh, what's happening in other provinces. You know, the uh, the minister talked about uh, uh, competing with and being better than other provinces, and, and I totally agree. But what's been happening doesn't indicate that. We, we have, have a government that's been more reactive to media uh, items than they have to the issues. In advance, it seems when it, when it hits the media, then, then there's a reaction. And that's unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, you go back to competing and being better with other provinces. I, I've met with uh, many agencies and, and groups there th- th- this past fall to try and uh, gauge where they are. I'm doing the same now currently in the spring. I've been meeting with, uh, in the summer, I've been meeting with some groups and continue to do so to gauge where they are. Uh, but, you know, like, for example, the MOU that was signed, and the minister mentioned that as well, I mean, the MOU 
brings us at, to par, brings us on par with Atlantic Canada. So when you look at doing better, is, is that doing better? I don't know. And it's not always about the money either. You know, you look at, at uh, provinces like uh, BC, and I listened to one of your callers yesterday. They also mentioned Ontario, which is doing something similar. Uh, you know, they have uh, individuals that come in uh, in healthcare, and they, uh, the, doc- they, the doctor, they would shadow a doctor for six months or, or, or whatever. And that's part of their process for getting them certified and getting them working. So, I mean, you know, I've said it before on a call in spoke with Patty uh, on different issues. I said, you know, just to simplify it, uh, you know, a spreadsheet of what other provinces are doing. Uh, what's working and what isn't and doing one better is where we need to be when it comes to uh, to uh, you know doing one better than the other provinces and looking after health health and welfare of our residents here i mean that's what it comes down to you know we we need to be able to provide those services to individuals and uh, and uh, you know the minister said about uh, providing the care uh, when and where it's it's needed and and this government is not there yet uh, we really need to see a government that's going to be uh, pro active and you know but that's the unfortunate part isn't it i mean if we're all in this mad race now to compete with each other across the the country well then where does that stop i mean you know newfoundland can up its benefits packages and it can offer the highest kind of salaries and then ontario is going to say oh yeah well we're going to do the same oh yeah it says alberta we're going to do you know and so where does all that end and and what role does the federal government play in all of that well i mean when when you're talking about uh credentials and that of course and, and foreign credential recognition certainly that's federal as well but when you talk about what how the federal government falls into this you know there's there's a health grant i mean which is a big piece and you know i was kind of discouraged when uh, you know when the report back from the premier when he was up uh, in bc meeting with all all the premiers and that you know and certainly talked about the need for more uh, more funding under that uh, grant but Failed to mention anything about the um, the equation that's utilised to uh, to to determine how much each province gets, and and that equation is basically based on per capita, and you know when you're talking about health and welfare of your population, and different provinces, then wouldn't you think that the uh, different variables around healthcare and that would would factor into the equation? Wouldn't you think that uh, Newfoundland being one of the oldest populations, Newfoundland being having some of the highest rates of chronic illness, Newfoundland being having so many rural districts, and, and the list goes on, wouldn't you think that would factor into uh, to the equation in terms of uh, how much each province would receive in health in a health grant? And you know, I was I was disappointed that the premier had an opportunity to bring it up at that table, and and nothing was said because when when you go around when when uh, the federal government puts out a chunk of money, all these provinces territories are looking for a piece of that pie, and they're going to be reluctant to give up anything. Uh, so that was a, a prime opportunity to have an have a good discussion on look, you know, the health and welfare of all Canadians. Is, is at stake here, but we need to look at the uh, unique uh, requirements or the unique uh, factors around the different provinces. And uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, when we talk about a per capita equation, I don't believe we're getting what we should be getting when it comes to health care funding. Uh, you and a lot of people besides. Um, what about some of the other issues um, that the minister touched on? Uh, you know, we t- talk about the recruitment. Uh, you know, they, they talked about looking at, at uh, incentives. Uh, you know, one of the things uh, talked about welcoming uh, 
uh, into to the province. But you know, I look at we have an office of recruitment just set up and uh, I think he, his words was you know it essentially happened last week in terms of getting uh, some staffing but if you balance that out and look out at the immigration staffing there's a huge disparity in uh, in what we have hired in terms of immigration and I'm not debating that there shouldn't be but our health our, our recruitment of doctors and physicians and nurses and 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 all healthcare professionals is so critical that uh, and I know it's early st- stages but really we need to be doing a similar effort uh in terms of trying to get the the healthcare here as well Paul, we have to leave it there, I'm afraid, but I do appreciate your call this morning. Thanks very much. Well, thank you for taking time. Alrighty. All the best. Bye-bye. And we'll be back right after this. And a note to our listeners in Labrador West. I'm not sure if they'll be able to hear this or not, but service is down, I understand, in Lab West. Uh, engineering is working on it and are aware of the problem. So if you happen to be listening via um, uh, the Internet or or whatever the case may be, uh, then uh, you may be able to pass that message along to uh, your friends and family. But uh, we are aware of the service outage in Lab West, and we are working on the problem. We're going to go now to the MHA for Humber Bay of Islands. Eddie Joyce, hello. Thank you for taking my call. No problem. Linda, I'm calling this morning about a, a, a unsafe and, and 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 very scary situation out uh, Copper Mine Brook uh, Route 450 towards Lark Harbour and York Harbour, and, and it happened back in May. The road slid down the, the actual highway, and there's major uh, um, damage to the road. And this happens every seven, eight, ten years, and they put a fix in. There is there needs to be a permanent fix, which everybody understands. But until that's done, there has to be something temporary done. Um, the temporary basis needs just for safety um, in the short term. The road itself on the way out has dropped 14 inches. One half of the road is 14 inches down below the other road. So what? what's the cause of that? It, it's what they call live ground that moves from the mountains down through. The, there, there, is, there are some solutions to, to get it permanently fixed, either move the road down down to the water side or build like a, a wall coming up. That, that, that's a long-term fix. But the problem right now is this has been ongoing since May. I've contacted, they, they've reduced the speed on a highway in this province to 30 kilometers. And, and the note you're getting back is said, oh, they can navigate through it. Under the pavement, all the gravel, parts of it, gone. They've got pylons in the in pavement with no gravel underneath. The ministers are well aware of it. Uh, I spoke to him in May. I brought it up in the House of Assembly. I asked a question in the House of Assembly. I gave him the question because I wanted it done. He agreed it had to be done. We'll get at it. I wrote at least 12, 15 times since. The towns of York Harbor and Lark Harbor has written at least 10 times each because of the dangerous situation, and there's nothing been done. Right now, tour buses, some tour buses won't go out near you. All trucks will won't even be filled up. There's there's a when the cars go over, and if they say if you're going out towards your Harbor, Lark Harbor, and because the road dropped on the right hand side, you go up on the left. If a car's coming towards you, you haul down. The cars are hitting the bottom. 
It, it's a situation that, that someone is going to get hurt. I was going to say, this sounds like more than just an inconvenience. This sounds like a hazard. This is a hazard. If someone goes out, say on a motorcycle, and, and if they say, okay, we see it slow down to 30, and don't navigate the road, as I was put in writing, navigate, they can navigate the road, I'm, they can easily flip, flip over. Or coming down when they drop 14 inches and don't realize what the uh, the road where it drops, it it is a dangerous situation. I spoke to a contractor. <clears throat> I said, "How long would it take you?" He said, "I could I could have this leveled out, put gravel over it until a permanent fix." He said, "I could do this in the morning." This is not a multi-million. Do you? I'm just talking thousands of dollars to fix this. The minister is aware of it. I'm after sending at least 10 pictures. 10, 10 times, sending different emails with pictures to it. It got worse. It got worse. The minister is aware of it. The senior staff in St. John's are well aware of it. The towns of York Harbor and Lark Harbor hadn't even got a reply to the letters that they wrote. Hadn't even got a reply. That's disdain for the towns of York Harbor and, York and Lark Harbor councils who are trying to protect people. Can you send us those pictures, Eddie? I'll send you those pictures. Not a problem. And 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 it, it's it's when I see and I'm not I'm, not, I'm definitely not despite being upset with anybody. When you go up around Derek and you see 10, 11 kilometers, very straight pavement, and you can't get get a piece of road temporary fixed down there. Not they're not even asking to pave the 120 feet. They're not even asking to pave that. They're just saying put gravel over it so it'll be safe and it'll be level. That's what people want. Make it safe. Forget this. This is not a luxury thing. This is a safety thing. And I've tried. I spoke to the minister personally at least five or six times when the House of Assemblies opened in May and June. I asked a question. I wrote him since. I kept writing. I wrote him even uh, two weeks ago. Again, the councils are writing him. It, it's dangerous. And then I told him someone's going to get hurt. And if they do, I can tell them that the, that the government is well aware of it. And this is not a... This this is not an inconvenience. This is not saying, oh, it's a pothole. Let's go fix some potholes. This is a safety. When you will get tour buses going over the road and you hear Steve Crocker saying, this is come home here. This year, York Harbor has the 40th anniversary come home here. A lot of people won't go. People won't go to the park out there with the large trailers. Once they get to see it, they won't go over it. And I don't blame them. I really don't blame. I've tried everything. I tried to work with the government, tried to work with the minister. So my only thing now is make it public so people know about the concern. Be careful going there, Copper Mine Brook, on Route 450. If you've got a trailer, if you're in a car, slow down. Slow go below 30. And for them to have it, say, yes, we know it's a, we know we got to fix it. We'll do that later on down the road. And when they keep... A highway in this province down to 30 kilometers for over two and a half months. There's something fundamentally wrong with the decisions made in the department. They, there's something fundamentally wrong. And I told the council, let's work with the government. The council agreed with me, both councils. But now it's time to tell people, be careful going near Copper and Minebrook. Now, if you want to go go up to the Premier's District where everything is all smooth, go ahead. I guess the people out York Harbor, Lark Harbor, and the and visiting public going out that way don't mean as much as they, they would going up towards Deer Lake. That's how I feel right now. Eddie because, Joyce, uh, independent member for Humber Bay of Islands, I appreciate your call. And, and I'll send you those uh, pictures, and thank you very much. All right, thank you.
Bye-bye. We're up to news time now with uh, Brian Medore. Um, anything that's on your mind, by all means, do give us a call. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we are back into the final half hour of the show. Uh, some interesting conversations had so far. Anything on your mind, by all means, now is your chance to give us a call. We're going to go now to Joan. You're on the air. Hello. How are you today? I'm good, Joan. How are you? I'm not too bad at all. I just want to throw a bouquet out to all of the people who have uh, kept Corpus Christi going over the years. All the men and women. There's a, there's a men's association, a ladies' association, the Knights of Columbus, uh, Ways and Means Committee, uh, St. Vincent de Paul, and way back there was a, a crowd that helped wherever around, and they were, God, they were called God, the God Squad. <laughs> a group of men would always go down and do things that needed to be done around the place down there, right? So before the church closed, I wanted to make sure that they were... We all realize how hard they have worked over the years, and to thank them all very, very much. Well, that's uh, that's good to hear. So, what is um, the the future now for Corpus Christi? Well, it's closing down the middle of August. I think about the 18th, between the 14th and 15th of August. I think they will be having their last service, and they're going to try to have a few things to recall different things that have have happened over the years. You know. So it'll be missed, but we all realize some of them have to close because there's not enough money to keep them all open, right? Uh, well, you know, it's very sad in a lot of ways. Um, it is. Uh, but a lot of people understand why it, it needs to be done. Uh, so what yeah. happens now? Does the parish move to St. Teresa's? Uh, well, I guess they can go wherever they want. Right. Right, you know, the St. Teresa's is the church that will be in the West End, you know, but I mean, people can make up their mind and go to Bulls or uh, Mount Pearl, wherever. Wherever they want to go, right. yeah. yeah. So what happens to that beautiful church building? Any idea? No, we don't know. We don't know for sure who got it or what they're going to do with it, right? Yeah. But I just want to let all the volunteers who have worked hard, hard, hard over as many years, that we all appreciate everything that they have ever done. And if I left out any group in particular, I am sorry. <laughs> I uh, know, and I understand completely. And I, I, I do know that, you know, for people who this means an awful lot, um, I'm sure, you know, they weren't just doing this out of the goodness of their hearts. They really, really were uh, working hard at it. And it's oh, yeah. uh, unfortunate. Yeah. 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 So thank you very much for letting me say this. Well, Joan, I, I'm glad you uh, did uh, come on and, and share that with us. Uh, thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, we are going to go now to Bob. You're on the air. Hello. Hello, Bob. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? You sound some good, boy. You're going to beat Patty on the, on the open line, I'll tell you that. Appreciate that, Bob. What's on your mind? Uh, first of all, I want to throw a bouquet out to Tom Osborne. He's one of the best people out, out there to do anything for anybody. I'll tell you that right now. Okay. Yeah. I, I, what's on my mind today... I'm an old man, and, and, and the prices of everything has gone sky high. We know that. That's, just, that's a known factor. But how can the younger people afford to live today with the price of food, gas, 
droves uh, everywhere you turn, everything has gone up, up, up. And, and it's time for something to happen. I heard on the radio this morning that gas is going to go down two cents. What will they do that day? I went up eight cents the other day. So, Bob, you're worried about younger people, how they're coping. How are you coping? I'm not. I'm just existing. Sad, isn't it? I can't afford what I want to get. And and the truth of the fact, Linda, is I can't afford to die. We're going to die anyhow, but it's gone right. The bottom has gone right out of her. So, uh, I mean, obviously, groceries, gas, getting around. I mean, you've ha- probably had to make a lot of big changes, have you? Oh, my God almighty. I'm just barely living now, just existing. I can't. Uh, it, it's terrible, terrible. But I'm an old man because when I went to work, I went to work for $1 a day. That's what I got paid. Now, I understand that this younger generation got to keep up with everything. The prices of wages got to go up to keep up with the rest of us. But there's got to be an end to it because you can't keep on going and going and going. It's like a well. You can't keep taking the water out of it and expecting it to be there when you need it. Eventually, it will go dry. Yeah, these are extraordinary times. There's no doubt about it. And we seem to be getting it from all ends, don't we? Yes, and I, 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 I know the government is strapped for money, but they spend a lot of money in foolishness, as we all know, right? I spend a lot of money in my days in foolishness. I was an alcoholic. I couldn't see no further than the battle model. And I'd sell my soul for a drink. But I'm a different change man now. I, I, I met up with a good woman, and she straightened me out, and God bless her. She was sent down from heaven. Oh, that's so good to hear. You were given a second chance. Oh, yes, a big one, too, because I was dead on the operating table. At seven minutes, I was dead, my love. People wouldn't believe that, but that is as true as my mother and father and them uh, over in the graveyard. That's a fact. Well, Bob, we're, we're glad to hear that uh, you were able to make that turnaround. Not some, uh, some people are not so lucky. Um, uh, keep on keeping on is all I can say to you, like we all are trying to do. That's right. Well, I want to thank all the workers in the hospitals. They're stressed out, my love. They're really stressed. Uh, and, like, you can't keep going and going like this. Eventually, something's going to happen. And it's sad, really sad, but I thank God for everybody, the, the fire workers, the ambulance people, the nurses and doctors. Uh, but, you know, be real, and, and, and we got to stop and think about the right way to go. Walk before you run, because we're going around circles. We're not making no headway. Bob, uh, I really appreciate your call and your perspective on all this. Now, there's a few, a few a good many good people in the government. As I said, Tom Osmond is one of the best people, and I can name up a lot of other people, but there's some people don't give a damn. It's like, uh, I'm okay, the hell with you, in that perspective. Bob, uh, really appreciate your call today. Thank you very much.
And you keep up the good work, Linda. Don't don't fire Petty when he comes back, will you? No, my God, no. He's too important. Is he? He is. Don't tell him that, because that will go to his head. He didn't think... (laughs) He already knows that. <laughs> I, I, I dare say, Patty's a good young fellow. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and he cares deeply, I can guarantee you that much. Uh, Bob, thank you very much. Uh, you take care of it, and may the old man above be with you. Same to you. All right. Bye-bye. We're going to take a short break. uh, And when we come back, we're going to be speaking with Ryan Cleary, among others, uh, coming up right after this. And we're back. We're going to go now to uh, Ryan Cleary. Hello. Good morning, Linda, you and your listeners. Thanks for taking the call. Thanks for uh, calling. (laughs) So you put out a a release this morning uh, concerning the fish price setting panel. Yeah, that's exactly right, uh, Linda. And I'm calling in my position with CNL. And uh, for the information of your listeners, that's an association representing enterprise owners in the ins- in the intro fleet. So a little bit of background first, Linda. Um, for the information of your listeners, fish prices in Newfoundland and Labrador, I know you know this, they're often set by a government process called final offer selection. Uh, this final offer selection process is unique to Newfoundland and Labrador. It's nowhere else in the Maritimes or Atlantic Canada. It's just here, and it's a government process. The way it works is if the FFAW and processors, if they don't agree on a price after they sit down and negotiate, snow crab, for example, the decision is, is then made by a government-appointed panel. The panel chooses one price or the other, nowhere in between. That's why it's called final offer selection. So, Linda, we've seen a number of cases this year with, with, either, with either the intra fleet, where either the intra fleet won't fish for the price that's set by the panel. An example of that would be like Northern Shrimp. The latest price was 90 cents. Or, or we've seen examples where buyers um, won't buy, they won't process, as in the case with the East Coast Capelin. We've seen other situations with uh, with um, uh, with Northern uh, Shrimp, for example, again, where the panel has stated up front that the price that it sets will not result in a fishery, and it hasn't resulted in a fishery in terms of Northern Shrimp just, set, just yet. I've said recently that this government fish pricing system has absolutely collapsed. It, it has. I've called it a fiasco. I, I don't know how else to describe it, Linda. But the latest news and the reason why I'm calling has to do with the most recent price of snow crab. The snow crab fishery is almost done now. Uh, but that, the price of snow crab, the latest price of snow crab was set by the panel um, in May at $6.15. So the, the problem has been, Linda, that at least one buyer has been attempting to pay a lot less than six fifteen a pound, up to two twenty plus tax less a pound, less than six fifteen, um, and and they're doing that by trying to pay for for services like offloading, for example, that were always included in the price. So owner-operators, and this is what it comes down to, owner-operators see that as a way to get around the binding price of 615, and that action completely undermines government's price-setting system. If a price is set and, and it's ignored, with a lower price then set, what's the good of the panel? Who can have faith in the panel? So, and what it comes right down to is, is paying even one cent less than the binding price set by that panel undermines the whole government pricing system over the entire $1 billion plus commercial fishing industry. So what's so out okay. of skew here? Because, I mean, we've seen these disputes before, absolutely. Uh, and we've seen discrepancies in price before, but what is, what is causing it to be so completely out of whack this time around? 
Well, it's never been as bad as it is this time, as it is this year. Now, there's speculation, the fact that uh, the price of crab, um, um, which is still declining in the world markets, uh, that processors and buyers have lost money on that or expect to lose money on, on that. This is just speculation. And because of that, it's had a domino effect on other fisheries. Like I said, either uh, harvesters not fishing for a price that's been set too low or processors not buying for a price that's been set too high. So it, the fishery, in terms of the price setting panel, has never been out of whack, as out of whack as it is right now. So, uh, the re- the, again, I know this is complicated, and there's a lot of information for your listeners to absorb, but the, the specific reason why I'm calling today is, so with that crab price at 6.15 set in May, that's the binding price. Processors cannot pay lower than that, but the complaint was that at least one processor was trying to pay, like I say, up to 222 plus tax, less than that. So owner-operators were led to believe by the Minister of Fisheries, Provincial Derek Bragg, that that complaint had been forwarded to the Labor Relations Board, and the board is investigating. But the bottom line is I contacted the board. They're not investigating. And then Derek Bragg later admitted, well, that he didn't forward it to the board, and it's being left to the FFAW. So from my perspective, again, seeing as how the price-setting system in this province has been completely undermined, the fact that there's no investigation is is ridiculous and, and shocking. So from my perspective, there needs to be an investigation, and the fate in the price-setting panel needs to be – well, it can't be restored. From my perspective, the panel has got to go anyway. The fact that we've got a government process, um, uh, a panel, to set the price of fish is in this province is just ridiculous. It doesn't, it, it doesn't happen anywhere else. You don't have complaints anywhere else in the Maritimes or Atlantic Canada like you have here because the government is involved in a pricing system, again, that has completely collapsed. So any idea why it was not, in the end, forwarded to the Labor Relations Board? Were you given a, a, an explanation for that? Not really. Um, not one that's, that's good enough. Uh, but, you know, the fact that the minister did tell owner-operators that it had, the complaint had been gone with the board and they were investigating, and then that turns out not to be the case, uh, again, it's it's just ridiculous. Uh, 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 on another note, Linda, uh, I don't know if you've saw, seen in the weekend paper, Saturday's Telegram, there was a piece in there by Derek Butler of the Association of Seafood Producers. I don't know if you had a chance to have a glance at that. I have not. I'm sorry. Okay, well, uh, I did. I read it a few times. And um, basically, um, the entire fishing industry should sit up and take notice of what Derek Butler said in that article. Because basically what he said, or what he essentially threatened, is that um, next season or future seasons and prices will be impacted because of the 2022, because of this year's fish pricing fiasco we have that's going on right now. There's been so many problems. So what he's saying, again, is that um, this will impact the price of fish next year, uh, basically saying it will be lower, and in future years because of this year's fiasco. This is why everybody has to take notice, including Derek Bragg, including the Premier, including all parties in this province. You know, if you have less income going into the fishery, into our, uh, into our owner-operators, into our rural communities, that hurts everybody. So it seems to me that all sides are dissatisfied with this, uh, obviously, um, and that would suggest in and of itself that something is irreparably broken here. 
Oh, absolutely. And uh, you just hit the nail on the head with the word broken. This is broken. But it's also, and I've said this before, an elephant on the wharf. So you've got a fiasco situation that, that everybody's aware of. Nobody is opening their, their, their mouth about. And that, that, has, can be, that has been completely undermined. Ryan, I appreciate your call this morning. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Linda. Thank you. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Um, uh, your thoughts on that? We only have a few minutes left, but uh, we can continue the conversation in future shows. We're going to go now to Tom. You're on the air. Yes, good morning. Thanks for, thanks for taking my call. What I was phoning about, I went down to the, um, to the emergency department. I, I had my uh, my blood work done on Thursday, because I'm on blood thinners. They were supposed to phone Friday, and I couldn't get through. So I went down Sunday night, 12.30, and I never got out of it until 12.30 Monday morning. They, they had one doctor on there, several people left, but I was stuck there, and I had to stay there to get my, get my report, a 10-minute report, and I had to wait 12 hours for it. So why did you go to Emerge to get that? Because I couldn't get to the doctor's clinic. And you needed the results? Uh, well, I'm on blood thinners. I need the results, yes. They're supposed to phone me on Friday, but they never. And I couldn't get to the clinic because I couldn't get through. Right. And do you have a family doctor? No. Oh, yes, I have a family doctor, yeah. But the family doctor's clinic was closed Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So I couldn't get to that clinic until Tuesday. Right. So you had to go to Emerge then to get that... To get, to get that results to find out what's going on. As, as I had, uh, had a, good, a good report, but I mean, it could have been otherwise. Yeah. When you're on blood thinners, you're not supposed to have to wait five days to get a report. Right. Um, so uh, I'm, not, no, I'm not saying with the hospital, they're excellent. And there's the doctor, no other means they're, they're, for they're you? Wonderful. I can't say about them. Yeah. But why is only one doctor on uh, and the place is blocked with people? And probably a lot more like yourself now, waiting for well, simple well, things. A lot of them that left and went home. They couldn't yeah. see it any longer. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's uh, our health care. I don't know. They, they say they care, but I wonder. I don't think the government cares about anybody. <laughs> well, Tom, glad to hear that your uh, report was okay. Well, I was sorry it was okay, yes, because it could have been otherwise, you know. The week, the, the two weeks before that, my uh, it was low, and I had to increase my... Uh, see, once I get the report, I can adjust my medication. But if I don't get the report, I can't adjust it. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, absolutely, and so you needed to know that. That's um, right. Yeah, and it's too bad that uh, it happened to all fall on a on a day when you couldn't get through to your own GP. Yeah, and I'm 91 years of age. I had to wait 12 hours down there. I had a few biscuits with me. Just, uh, people down there gave me some more biscuits to help me out, so we were too hungry. <laughs> God bless your heart. Yeah. Uh, Tom, I appreciate your call. We're glad to hear you're feeling okay. Well, I'm doing okay, yes, but I, the system is what's, what bothers me, you know. Yeah. It uh, shouldn't be that, but that way. No, indeed. Um, having to wait like that uh, to get a simple result. Um, uh, Tom, you've had the last word on Open Line. I appreciate it. 
Okay, my dear. Thanks for taking my call. All right. Thank you. You have a good day. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And, uh, you know, essentially that's a, a part of the problem, isn't it? Uh, people looking for simple answers to simple questions that should take just a few moments and unable to get that. And then having to go through those kinds of processes, um, going into emerge where everything is blocked up solid with other people doing the same thing, if you know what I'm saying. Um, so this is part of the issue that has to be addressed. I want to thank everyone for their contributions to the show today. Can't make any promises. We're hoping Patty will be back uh, tomorrow in some capacity. So uh, uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, and if not, it'll probably be myself. Uh, so I want to thank everybody for, for listening and contributing to the show. Have a great day, everyone.